What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet Today. It's Friday, April 22nd, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here once again with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, what's going on? Not much, Matty. I had a fantastic Easter weekend, had a lot of good food, a lot of good drinks. It was just an overall great time. How about you? Mine was good, too. I um, I definitely left feeling more full than I needed to, especially when I had that slice of cheesecake that I definitely didn't need, but hey. <laughs> That's what you got to do when someone offers you a cheesecake for dessert. It's so true. Easter is, it's like the spring Thanksgiving. That is something I can get behind. And with that, let's get into the show. Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way, Monday and Friday. All right, so let's get into our quick hits for the week. And our first one is by Katanga Johnson of Reuters, who writes, U.S. to resume oil gas drilling on public land despite Biden campaign pledge. So uh, Nick and I kind of alluded to this at the end of last Friday's show, but we're going to dive into it a little more on this one. Um, look, definitely a tough situation. On the one hand, totally get it. I understand why it's kind of necessary. On the other hand, man, I really hate this. So last Friday, the Biden administration resumed plans for fossil fuel drilling, albeit less than initially proposed, and with steeper royalties charged to gas and oil companies, which we'll talk about those in depth a little more in a bit. But the plan also calls for the government to assess the climate impacts of developing the acreage that's going to be dedicated to drilling. The proposal was quickly denounced by several environmental groups, with one calling it a reckless failure of climate leadership. And oil industry groups praised the move, but said it actually didn't go far enough. So the decision was announced by the Interior Department and was made in the face of high energy prices due to our economy rebounding from the pandemic and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The Biden administration has taken steps to curb gasoline price increases and inflation, and this is the latest one of those measures. Yeah, so the specifics of the announcement are that 144,000 acres will be made available for drilling, which is an 80% reduction from the land that had been under evaluation for leasing. The royalties that energy companies need to pay for drilling is up 6.25% from the initial proposal. So less is available. The oil companies are going to have to pay more to develop it. You know, they, they did reduce this significantly, which that's why oil companies said this didn't go far enough because they want more and they want it cheaper. President Biden campaigned on halting federal drilling auctions, which was a decision that Republican-led states have fought in court basically since his inauguration. And the Center for Biological Diversity said this decision is as if the Biden administration is ignoring the horror of firestorms, floods, and mega droughts, and accepting climate catastrophe as business as usual. The American Exploration and Production Council countered by saying this is a step in the right direction to really unleash American energy. <laughs> I hate that line so much. <laughs> um, but with that being said, like I, 
I still might be in the minority on this one, but I think I somewhat support this. Like we, we do need immediate action in order to reduce gas prices and drilling for oil is kind of the only way we can achieve that. And also energy independence, which is what we talked about last week on the show. It, it's, it sucks. Like the situation that we're in is terrible. And I wish we, we did not have to, to drill more oil and give these, um, you know, these oil companies a reason to survive any longer, but ultimately right now we just need it. That's kind of my take. Yeah. I, I started off with this, but like, I, I get it. Um, I, I wish it wasn't this way, but look, I mean the, the real way you prevent this is by investing in renewable energy 10, 15 years ago when everyone was saying, Hey, this is a really good idea. Um, and we just kind of passed the buck and now we're at this damned if you do damned if you don't situation where we don't increase drilling and prices are going to stay high or we do and it's going to really come back to kick us in the ass later. Um, so right now they're focusing on inflation because inflation is going to be a major talking point during the midterms, which are the end of this year. So, you know, it's 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 tough, but if you missed our social exclusive quick hit this week, um, go check it out on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. It wasn't all tough environmental news for the Biden administration this week. They actually reinstated a rule that will require federal agencies to consider indirect and cumulative environmental impacts of their actions, including those related to climate change. So the rule will also allow the agencies to expand consideration of environmental justice factors in decision-making. So that's a positive environmental step that came out of this week. Yeah. And guys, make sure you go check out TikTok, Twitter, wherever you find your news, our social exclusive quick hit. Matt does them every single week. He does not miss a week unless there's a major issue going on in Except his life. For that one week where I forgot, <laughs> but then I did two the next week. So yeah, exactly. You, he always pays it back no matter what, even if he misses one. One per week on average, best you're getting out of me. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one. And it is titled, It's Super Spectacular. See how the Tonga volcano unleashed a once-in-a-century shockwave by Atish Bhatia and Henry Fountain of the New York Times. All right, let's start this off with talking about the people of Tonga and their rebuild effort because that is far more important. Um, Tonga is slowly rebuilding three months after the world's biggest volcanic eruption in 30 years. Last week, the prime minister handed over the keys to the first rebuilt home of the 468 that the government plans to reconstruct across three islands as part of its recovery program. Three people died from the tsunami and a fourth died from related trauma from the eruption and its fallout. So, look, this is awful. And that was something that I had a hard time with, with the headline being it's super spectacular because, yes, this shockwave that we're going to talk about in a little bit spectacular is a great word for it, but I associate spectacular with, Hey, this is awesome. This is good. I'm happy about this. And this is not, you know, a happy situation, but it's fascinating to talk about the fallout. So that sonic boom that came from the eruption was actually loud enough to be heard in Alaska and ash rocketed 36 miles into the sky. People in Tonga are starting to get back to normal, according to Sion Tomifalu, the secretary general of the Tonga Red Cross Society, but added they still need psychological and social support and the nation needs monetary support as it rebuilds. So far from back to normal. Absolutely. The New York Times published an interactive story that showed what happened to the atmosphere as a result of the eruption. They said this is something that scientists had not seen in half a century. 
The shockwave from the eruption circled Earth for multiple days. Yeah, it's wild to watch because they, they show this graphic of the first 72 hours and you just see the shockwave kind of go around the Earth. And the first time it, it goes from the volcano and circumnavigates, it's about 36 hours. And then they say in the article that it actually did that a second and third time over the next 72 hours, all at the speed of sound. Weather stations across the globe detected similar spikes in pressure as the wave passed, including those in the U.S., Britain, Germany, India, China, and Australia. So we are literally talking about all over the world. And as it traveled, the shockwave caused small disturbances in local atmospheric properties, such as the temperature of water vapor, creating faint ripples that could be seen in satellite images and in video footage at an observatory in Hawaii some thousand miles away. A sonic boom is a shockwave that people might be more familiar with, and a sonic boom is basically a brief event that's about 50 miles wide. The shockwave from this eruption encompassed the entire planet. Jeez. Yeah, that's like, that's terrifying. It's hard to fathom. Volcanic eruptions can sometimes generate tsunamis by rapidly displacing a huge amount of seawater. In the Tonga event, the tsunami traveled across the Pacific, generating waves as high as four feet along the North American coast and higher in South America. Yeah, so again, this is far away. This is thousands of miles, and we're getting four feet high waves or higher in South America. This is... I get why they used spectacular, even though when I read it, I was like, that's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, it, it, like because because people pass from it, like you can't say spectacular, but I do understand. Yeah, so volcanologists are studying the eruption, which occurred underwater at a depth of less than 1,000 feet when magma rose from the volcano. By itself, that would be a very explosive event as the carbon dioxide and other gases in the magma quickly expand. But the magma also reacted with seawater, which caused it to flash violently into steam. All of this contributed to the eruption generating greater shockwaves than the Tsar Bomba, which was the Soviet weapon, which is considered the largest atmospheric test ever conducted. And this had greater shockwaves than that. So we are talking about absolutely massive shockwaves. It's crazy to think about, like 50 mile wide. Like, think about that radius, just complete explosions. Like, I still remember three months ago, that video, it was unbelievable to see all of that just smoke just fly up. Like, yeah, 36 mile ash plume. <laughs> no, it's unbelievable. Unprecedented. Yeah. And what's, what's crazy here is, you know, this is one of the largest volcanic eruptions that we've been able to see in real time. And we've gotten video recordings, we've gotten photography, we've gotten all of these you know, atmospheric pressure stations around the world showing what happened. But a reference they bring up in this article, Dr. Greg Dusek of NOAA said, this is probably the first time since the huge 1883 eruption of Krakatoa that a volcanic eruption created a global shockwave, which then generated ocean waves in harbors worldwide. So that eruption ruptured the eardrums of sailors 40 miles away and also circled the globe at least three times. So that's the sort of shockwave that we're working with here. It's it's unfathomable. That's insane. Ruptured the eardrums of people 40 miles away. That should tell you all you need to know. Yeah. All right. So after the break, we'll have a couple more quick hits for you. Stay tuned, folks. 
Nick, I went for, all right, incoming humble brag, uh, Saturday of last weekend and the Saturday of the weekend before I ran 10 miles with my own legs. And the second one about six miles in, no joke. I will show you my text messages to Dan. I was like, dude, I left my Valo Alta at home for the run. I ran under some trees that were blooming and I could not breathe for about a mile because I didn't have anything to blow my nose with. And I was just like <laughs> stuffy and gross and my mile split for mile seven was atrocious. Allergies come at you fast, Matt. If anything you've learned from this show, you should know allergies come at you fast. And I got to stay strapped at the Alta. And honestly, I wasn't. That's on me. Will not happen again. <laughs> Val Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the materials, historic craftsmanship, and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. And next up, Maryland just passed one of the most aggressive climate laws in the United States by Jeff St. John from Canary Media. Maryland is the latest state to seek to end carbon emissions on a net basis by the middle of this century. The plan targets electricity generation, building heat and transportation while incorporating environmental justice provisions. The Climate Solutions Now Act was signed into law after Republican Governor Larry Hogan refused to take action on it, despite opposing it and claiming it would increase energy costs. The state's legislature is controlled by Democrats and passed the bill on a veto-proof majority. So Hogan and other Republicans in state legislature stated that Maryland isn't large enough to make a difference in the global warming, so they shouldn't accept the cost of transitioning the state to zero emissions. According to the author of this article, a nonpartisan analysis of the bill's costs and benefits found that it might increase energy costs over the short term, but also could yield long-term energy savings. Yeah, so the bill's supporters cited the global and local risks of climate change, sea level rise, more extreme storms, heat waves, and drought as strong reasons to act at the state level. The law increases Maryland's target for reducing greenhouse gas emissions to 60% below 2006 levels by 2031, up from a previous target of 40% by 2030 set in 2016. It also sets a 2045 deadline for achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions across the state's economy. The new law calls for buildings, which currently account for 40% of Maryland's carbon emissions, to reduce their emissions starting in 2025 and then continue to decrease emissions every five years. The new law does not alter the existing renewable energy laws in Maryland from 2019, which called for 50% of electricity to come from renewables by 2050. Transportation accounts for around a third of energy consumption in Maryland, and this new law does not set specific targets for transportation, but it does call for converting the state's vehicle fleet to 100% zero emissions by 2031. 
Finally, the law includes measures to increase funding for those who have experienced the worst of economic and health harms of polluting industries, including lower income communities and communities of color. Listen, this is ambitious, but I like it. You know, like someone's got to step up and shout outs to Maryland for, for being that state. Yeah, they're small. Yeah, it might not make too big of a difference, but good for them for stepping up and and setting a good uh, example. Yeah. Also something to add is, you know, it's going to be important to the people of Maryland that they're actually acting here because here's the thing you might feel, and and Larry Hogan stated this, that, you know, it's too small of a state to make a difference globally, but what are the people back home going to say when sea level rise impacts the coast of Maryland, which there's a ton of coastline in Maryland. Like what are those people going to say if they're doing nothing at the state level all while, you know, coastal communities are being impacted. So just from the optics thing, like this looks good to say this is going to impact us at home and we're going to do our part to help combat it. Yeah. And like you just mentioned, like the coastal communities, well, that's also a massive portion of like the state's income. Like Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about like all the beach towns along Maryland and stuff like that's a big tourist attraction and provides the state with a lot of income. So becoming, you know, net zero is definitely a step in the right direction for those coastal communities. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, a positive step, and I'm glad that the state passed it on a veto-proof majority. Two other things that, that Maryland's good at, you know, crabs, <laughs> Old Bay crab seasoning, <laughs> like that's going to be impacted by climate change. So you're not even just talking about the tourism industry, you're also talking about Maryland crab cakes is a big exporter. People go to Maryland as well to eat the crabs there. So yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think this is all around a good thing. Crab cakes and football, that's what Maryland does. <laughs> agreed, agreed. <laughs> what is that from, Step Brothers? I don't know. It might be crab cakes and football. I don't know what that's from. Um, while I'm looking it up, last guess, Wedding Crashers. Now that I said it out loud, I think it's Wedding Crashers. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, it's Wedding Crashers. Crab cakes and football, that's what Maryland does. All right, our last quick hit of the week is from The Hill, where Alejandra O'Connell Domenic writes, over 1,000 scientists from around the world take to the streets in a week-long climate protest. The protest came after a report from the UN stated humanity only has three more years to curb greenhouse gas emissions and avoid climate-related disasters. Scientists took part in protests last week so that governments will make rapid and deep cuts to greenhouse gas emissions before it's too late. In London, 25 scientists glued pages of scientific papers and their hands to the windows of the Department of Business, Energy, and Industrial Strategy to force the people inside to look at the climate research that scientists claim the British government has been ignoring. In Madrid, over 50 protesters were arrested after throwing fake blood on the steps of Spanish Parliament's Congress of Deputies. In Los Angeles, NASA scientist Peter Kalmus and three others were arrested for chaining themselves to the front door of a Chase Bank to protest the company's investment in fossil fuels. So I actually saw a video of Kalmus speaking about this, and I was going to bring up the quote um, when we were talking about this article, and it turns out that the article featured the exact quote that I was looking for. So he said, we've been trying to warn you guys for so many decades that we're heading towards a catastrophe and we've been ignored he added the scientists of the world are being ignored and it's got to stop we're not joking we're not lying we're not exaggerating 
Kalmus and his fellow protesters were met by 100 LAPD officers in riot gear and arrested, which may be a step or 10 too far. The protests were part of a week of civil disobedience organized by Scientist Rebellion, the scientific branch of the climate change activist group Extinction Rebellion. Yeah, I mean, how many years have these scientists been literally shouting at us to be like, hey, guys, climate change is real. It's coming for us and it'll be on your front doorstep in soon enough. And we've just straight up ignored it like everything. We've tried pretty much anything and everything to just put it on the back burner. Like, let's forget about it. Let's make it the last thing we think of in in policy when we're talking about policy or like on a presidential campaign. It's like barely brought up. Mm -hmm. And like these guys have to be so tired of it. To the point where this guy has literally chained himself to the front door of a Chase Bank and gotten arrested just to make a point. Like, it's insane that it has to get that far. It's really frustrating on a personal level. Um, not to make this about me, but, you know, I've, I've been environmentally cautious for a while now. And I've been reading what they've been saying. So I'm like, yeah, I get it. But you know there's people out there that are like... Why are they getting so mad? We just started talking about climate change with Paris in 2015. And like, no, we, we didn't. This has been years in the making. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. And I know this wasn't like your favorite movie by any means, but it really reminds me of Don't Look Up where the scientists are like, hey, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Hey, this is happening. It's important. There's a comet that's going to destroy the world. And people are like, no, just just don't look at it and it'll go away because that's the same deal with climate change. It's not an in your face problem yet for some people. So it's really easy to overlook it. But for others, this is already a now problem. And for years we kept looking at it as, Oh, it's the problem of our grandchildren and our great grandchildren. No, it's the problem of us right now. It's the problem of our kids for sure. And Hey, older generation, it's the problem of your kids. So yeah, that's why we get mad when we talk about climate change and we're like, I don't know how to convince you to care about people and to care about the planet, but you probably should. Yeah, it's a very basic like human element, like just caring about and like respecting other people and wanting them to live. I don't know, just wild. It's equal parts exciting right now, right? Because we're looking at this tech boom where like renewable energy is getting cheaper and more abundant and you know, we can, we can have it in more places. It's exciting to be a part of this renewable energy transition. It's exciting that more people are now poking their politicians and being like, Hey, climate change is an important topic to me. So if you want my vote, you're going to have to act on it. And if you're listening right now, that also applies to local elections. We talk about cities in, in city councils where the cities are decarbonizing, it doesn't just have to come from the president. Yeah. It doesn't just have to come from the state level. This starts locally. Vote in every single election if if climate change matters to you. And if you're listening 27 minutes into this show, I'm going to guess climate change matters to you. Yeah, definitely. All right. The latest IPCC report basically says that if nothing is done to curb emissions by 2025, greenhouse gas emissions will cause a median global warming temperature of 3.2 degrees Celsius by 2100, which is more than two degrees Celsius. Giselle and I are going to talk about this in a few weeks on the show. So look, if you're listening now and you want, send us in your thoughts and we can we can talk about stuff with you. If you have questions, if you have comments, that'll be a really good time to send that in. Um, we're, we're probably going to air it May 9th and record a couple of days before. So 
send it in. Yeah, definitely keep an eye out for that. That's going to be a very interesting conversation. Yeah, so for now, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. Nick and I are going to be back on Monday for a discussion about cryptocurrency and its impact on the environment with recurring guest co-host CJ Bonifati. Yes, that's a fun one. So Matt and CJ did an episode about this in June 2021, but we're back with some new updates. CJ is always a good time to have on. And this episode, we already recorded it. It's it's going to be very fun. I'm excited for you to hear it. Make sure you tune in. It's fire. <laughs> Until then, go give us a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norton. We are produced every week by Nick Janusa, who also does the music for our show. Nick, where can people hear your music all week, all weekend, all month long? <laughs> you can find it at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, folks. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll catch you right here on Monday. Peace. Also, happy birthday, Natalie and Rachel. Love you. See you soon. 